Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Steve Sleeper. Our guest today is DUI defense lawyer Dan Cavanaugh with the law offices of Cavanaugh & Cavanaugh in Naples, Florida. You can depend on Cavanaugh & Cavanaugh to provide you with the care and personalized attention your case requires and get you the results you deserve. I began the interview by asking Dan about himself and his firm. Well, my name is Dan Cavanaugh. I've been a, uh, an attorney for about 26, 27 years. I've been doing criminal law uh, essentially the entire time. I prosecuted for about 10 years in five different jurisdictions and um, have been doing defense work uh, primarily since then. Our law firm is based in Collier County. We service Lee County as well, so Naples, Fort Myers, uh, kind of the southwest uh, counties uh, here in Florida. Um, much of what we do is DUI, but I also do um, other areas of criminal defense. And um, Chana, the other attorney who does family law, uh, she does that uh, exclusively. So those are it's kind of what we do. And you're the DUI guy. So um, let, let me uh, let me ask, uh, what should a person expect from a good DUI defense lawyer? Well, you know, DUIs can be rather complicated. So I think a DUI attorney... Uh, needs to have experience in a lot of things. I always tell my clients there's kind of a two-track approach that you got to be ready for with the DUI because you have the criminal uh, process ongoing and you also have an administrative process. Uh, the criminal process requires a good DUI attorney to be familiar with defenses, be familiar with uh, the National Highway Safety Traffic Administration, uh, rules dealing with field sobriety exercises. Um, you have to have an understanding of the intoxilizer and, of course, other sort of forensic uh, issues that come up, whether it's blood draw, um, you know, that's uh, at the hospital at the request of law enforcement or if it's through an accident or, an, or another reason a person's at the hospital receiving their blood draws, um, need to know uh, what's going on with that. You have drug recognition experts, uh, I'll put in quotes, uh, that uh, are, do get involved in a lot of our DOI drug cases. Uh, need to know about penalties and lesser charges that you can argue. And then I think um, on that other track, you know, you have to be familiar with uh, some time-sensitive issues if a person's getting their driver's license uh, suspended, which they are by the mm -hmm. um, Florida Department of Highway Safety. Uh, we need to know that within 10 days, you got a petition for Board of Administrator Review hearing if you want to challenge that, or you have to apply within 10 days for a business purposes license so that you can uh, remain driving while you go through the POI process. Okay, so this brings me to my next question. I know, you know, cops are like the rest of us. They're human. They make mistakes. Can those mistakes in procedures with a DUI arrest, can that make a, a, a difference in a person being found innocent or guilty in Florida? How does that work? Yeah, sure. I think that, uh, like you said, they're, um, they're human. I think like any other profession, you know, you have uh, some law enforcement officers that are going to do a great job, others that are not going to do so well. You know, so much of what happens with the DUI is subjective um, on part of law enforcement, you know, especially if a person doesn't provide a breath sample, blood or urine, you know, they're dealing with what their observations are, whether they think a person's behavior is consistent with being 
uh, impaired by alcohol or drugs. So, um, you know, there's a lot there to look at as a defense attorney when you're seeing whether or not you believe that their subjective impression is is convincing or not. Uh, but yeah, there's other there's other technical technical mistakes, of course, they can make um, that could happen through, you know, the administration of the field sobriety exercises, maybe more commonly with the administration of a, the intoxilizer breath sample. Um, so you do have to you have to look at all those things and, and make sure and, and, you know, a good defense attorney is doing their job right is going to make sure that, you know, that if there are any mistakes that they're that they're discovered and that they're, um, you know, used as part of the defense. So can a person refuse the the tests, uh, roadside or chemical or what have you? Yeah, as far as field sobriety exercises are concerned, uh, a person's not required to do that. Uh, Law enforcement um, needs to ask the person if they want to do it because they can't tell them they have to. Otherwise, those those could be suppressed. Uh, So it is up to the driver uh if they want to participate in it oftentimes law enforcement will say well you know if you don't do this then you're not helping me you know confirm you're not impaired so you know they may say it in a way that they're encouraging the person to do it but it's not required um as far as the breath sample in the criminal case it's not required gets a little tricky it's uh you know there's implied consent laws in florida so your driver's license can be suspended for a year if you do not agree to provide a breath sample uh, that's something that if you look in the back of your driver's license or in front of your driver's license talks about how you're consenting to provide that upon request um, so you do face that concern also if you have a second DUI and in the first DUI you refuse to provide a breath sample and then in the second one you refuse to provide a breath sample then you can get charged be charged with the first degree misdemeanor uh, for that okay so let's say cops got what he believes is a probable cause and he arrests you. Um, what happens after that? What happens after a person's arrested? Well, typically here what will happen is um, <clears throat> once they're arrested, they'll be brought to the, um, the jail center and they'll be given an opportunity at that time to provide a breath sample. Usually they'll have that conversation on scene, but then once they get down to the jail, they'll do it again. They'll read implied consent, which is, um, you know, it, uh, it's something that uh, has to be explained to the arrestee now to uh, explain what's going to happen and what the consequences are if they don't provide the breath sample. And then that decision gets made, and then they either take a breath sample or they don't. Um, after that, they're they're going to be in jail, and usually it's around eight hours or so. Uh, often can be overnight. Um They'll be provided a bond per schedule, typically. Um, If they don't bond out, then they'll see a judge the next day, and the judge will make a decision about release conditions where they'll often uh, provide a bond. um, And also, sometimes they'll impose no alcohol condition uh, for the uh, pendency of the case. uh, And then everything begins. EUI first, what are the penalties for that? There's quite a, quite a few quite a few penalties for a DUI first. If it's a DUI and doesn't have any aggravating factors, meaning it's not at a 0.15 or above, or there's no accidents or kids in the car, um, you're looking at a maximum six-month jail sentence, probation for six months, um, $500 fine to $1,000. Um, if they're 
if the if you do provide a breath sample and it's over 0.15, you're looking at um, an enhancement in terms of the jail. So you're looking at up to nine months. If there's an accident involved, you're looking at up to a year in jail and thousand to two thousand dollar fine. Um, lots of other penalties that um, you know people aren't always expecting. Besides jail and probation, you have your car is going to be impounded for ten days. You know this, of course, is if, you, if you're convicted. You have to attend DUI school. Uh, you have to be evaluated uh, uh, for substance abuse and follow any recommendations that are made. Uh, there's 50 hours of community service. Like I said, impoundment, a 10 day impoundment yeah. of the vehicle. Right. Um, you know, revocation of your driver's license. Um, so that's different than the administrative suspension. Uh, you'd have a revocation of your driver's license. And they have um, a shorter class they call here a victim impact panel, uh, something similar in Lee County, you know, fines, costs, um, probably missing a couple. But there's there's quite a bit of things that um, that do come along that are mandated by the legislature if a person is convicted of a DUI. So how many folks end up doing six months in jail, six months in jail? Yeah, I don't think it's very common. I think, especially if it's a first time or a second time, um, you know, jail is not necessarily going to be involved in your case, especially if you're, you know, you're you're working out a, a plea resolution. I think where you face the greater potential of jail is if, um, you know, if you do go to trial and you have some aggravators in your case that, um, you know, cause the judge to put you in jail, but. Yeah, typically looking at the maximum is not something that a person would face uh, through negotiations or even um, through a trial. But again, fact dependent. Hey, so you mentioned please how many uh, how many cases just off the top of your head end up going to to trial? I would say with a DUI case, you know, maybe I don't know, ten to fifteen percent. I think it's still a high probability of cases that. Um, uh, are resolved through a plea to the charge or a plea to an amended lesser charge. And we've got some dismissed, but that's not uh, very common. Uh, but I think, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of the subjective issues that we had talked about before, I think that does lend for a better type of criminal case to try. Um, so even though that number is sort of small. It's, uh, I think, in a criminal case in general, you know, they're even, you know, the percentage is even smaller than that that actually go to trial. CDLs, I know a person can lose their way of making a living. Do those, how do you do, deal with those? Do they go to trial? Do you, do you plea? What do you do? Yeah, I think it, it's an added, you know, issue for people that, uh, you know, base their livelihood on, on commercial trucking because, you know, typically if you have a DUI um, and you have a CDL, your CDL is going to be suspended for a year at least. Um, if you were, and you don't get a business purposes, you know, so you're not getting any type of hardship that allows you to get a limited use of your license, you just lose it. I think if someone's driving a commercial truck and there's hazardous materials that you're looking at about three-year suspension, uh, and you always got a petition for reinstatements and there's costs involved. Um, and if you do it again, if it's the second time you get a DUI, you're looking at a permanent loss of your CDL. So it's it's complicated in the sense that, um, you know, you, you, 
it does affect your driving. It also can affect, uh, you know, your job because employers may take a very harsh look at that. So, you know, like anything else, it's just important to have somebody, you know, take a real close look at these because um, that's that collateral consequences. Um, tough on CDL drivers and some other professions as well, but uh, but certainly not. Is there a way a person can be found not guilty? Sure. If you take your case to trial and the state's unable to prove that your client is impaired beyond a reasonable doubt um, due to the effects of alcohol or drugs, then uh, then they'll be found not guilty. Um, and I guess similar to that, if, if the case is dismissed for some reason, evidence is suppressed or you know, you're able to convince the prosecution that it's just um, not a case that uh, is provable or impairment was not due to alcohol or drugs, then, uh, you know, they could dismiss it. And that's, that's similar to being found out guilty. Is there a way to prove uh, marijuana? Well, that's interesting. I think it's it's difficult. You know, they consider marijuana to be, you know, a drug that is controlled so that um, it does fall under Florida Statute 316-193. So if you're impaired by the effects of marijuana, you can be found guilty of a DUI. But I earlier mentioned uh, the National Highway Safety Traffic Administration, you know, that has, um, you know, some authority with DUI investigations and police activity. And I think it was in 2017, they had wrote a letter to Congress that indicated that uh, there really is no good way to test to see if a person is impaired by uh, marijuana. So, you know, I think that's de definitely something that, you know, if you're in trial, the fact finder needs to know about that. Prescription meds. I, I spoke with an attorney the other day and I forget what state, but um, she had, uh, she had a number of cases uh, where the person got a DUI or DWI because of some prescription meds they were taking. That was the first time I heard that. Do you, do you see that at all? Yeah, I think we're seeing it more and more. Um, you know, people are, you know, just like there's a safe level of alcohol to drink where you're not going to be impaired. Same is true for um, prescription medications, you know, opiates that you see a lot now that they're, people are being charged with that. But, you know, there's different levels of um, opiate use. You know, there's therapeutic, which is, you know, typically not going to be at a level that's going to impair you, um, impair your driving, impair your normal faculties, uh, ability to walk, talk, hear, hear, see, judge distances, those, those sort of things. Um, and then there's um, a toxic level and then a lethal level. So obviously the, the you know, the second two are not good and, and uh, they can have an effect on your driving. But um, again, it's not, it's just a little harder to prove. Um, you know, last year I, went and received a designation as forensic uh, lawyer scientist where I attended um, several classes on trying to learn about um, how the um, substances in the system would either be um, something that would impair someone or wouldn't. It's a lot involved with that, but, um, you know, really I think it's important to, you know, an attorney has to have some familiarity with that and know uh, what to look for because, you know, if a, uh, prosecutor discloses a toxicology report that simply says this was in the person's system, um, you need to know um, a lot more than that. You need to know whether that 
was simply in their system and, and was a therapeutic level and is not going to have any effect on their um, on their driving or is it uh, you know something more than that and uh, so there's a lot of layers to it but you do see it more and more and um, you know we see it a lot with with opiates but again it can get mistaken with illnesses uh, and things like that. I'm glad you brought up the forensic lawyer scientist because I saw that on your website and I said, you know, I got to ask him about that. And uh, you reminded me, um, can, can you kind of expand on that a little bit? What, what it's involved and what it means and what advantage it gives you? Sure. Um, well, I, I decided to, um, to, to seek out that education because as I mentioned, a lot of times we'll get, toxicology reports were expected to kind of assume the, the veracity in it, uh, or you hire somebody, spend a lot of your client's money, and then turn out that there's uh, there's really no good point in doing that. So I think with this um, education, it just kind of allowed me to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and see what was going on with with the labs and what they're looking for and how they do it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot involved with chromatography where you know, there's a process and, you know, if they're looking for alcohol, for example, in your system, um, the gas chromatograph is a, is a machine that's going to separate um, ethanol from other molecules in your body and then be able to get some qualitative uh, information on that. Um, so there's, there's some help there. You kind of learn what the process is and how uh, the labs are um, analyzing um, you know, blood. Uh, it also uh, was a component to that to recognize drugs and, and understand, feel that, you know, uh, testing roadside as opposed to confirmatory testing and, and the different methods in which they could be done. So again, you can see whether it's done right and if the results support the, um, uh, the summaries that are provided uh, by the state. And, and there's other things that are a little more DUI related specifically, um, which, um, you know, deal with things such as the 2017, you know, report to um, Congress that talked about the problems with evaluating field sobriety exercises when marijuana is involved. Um, also, a lot of information on drug recognition experts and whether they're truly qualified to be able to say, we think this person is, has this drug in their system and, and um, we think that causes them to have some level of impairment. So, um you know, that's kind of a loaded issue there, but, um, you know, it, it just kind of gives you that education to kind of learn about that. And so you get recognized by the American uh, Chemical Society and designated with that. It's really more of a of education and just kind of giving you the opportunity to uh, kind of see what's going on and appreciate, you know, some of the forensic things that are happening so that you can, you know, best help out your client and identify issues. And my last question for you. Sure. If I plan on pleading guilty, I was drunk. I know I was drunk. I want to just plead guilty. Do I still need an attorney? Well, you don't have to have an attorney for sure. Um, you know, one thing I'll say, you, you don't have to plead guilty in um, Southwest Florida for a DUI. You can plead no contest, which just essentially means you're you're not contesting it and you're, you're uh, not admitting to anything. But I think, you know, what... And a person certainly can go in to court and say, Judge, I just want to take whatever penalties the prosecutor thinks is good. But, um, you know, they're going to lose the opportunity to negotiate 
obviously defend their case and see if there are any issues that need to be raised. Sometimes just because a person thinks they're guilty, that not necessarily guilty. So it doesn't hurt to have an attorney kind of look through and, and look at the facts um, as opposed uh, in comparison to the charge. Um, but, you know, the biggest advantage of having an attorney is that they can negotiate with the state and, and um, a defendant typically cannot. A prosecution, you know, the prosecutors here really don't want to speak to the defendants and they'll tell them that. So you kind of take whatever they give you uh, with an attorney, you'll be able to um, uh, have an opportunity to, you know, evaluate the case and, and um, negotiate it. Our guest today on Ask a Lawyer with Steve Sleeper is DUI defense attorney Dan Cavanaugh with the law offices of Cavanaugh and Cavanaugh in Naples, Florida. His phone number is 239-449-8585, and his website is KavanaughAttorneys.com.